Good Wednesday. This is Ozarks at Large for August 3rd, 2022. I'm Kyle Callums. Pretty cool double bill at Cash in Springdale tonight as part of the Mixtape Music Series. Alyssa Murray and Jess Harp will each play a set at the Cash location at 214 South Main in downtown Springdale. The Mixtape Music Series offers free musical performances for the public. It's part of the Creative Exchange Fund program. Music tonight scheduled to begin at 7 and last until 9. We have an interesting mix of topics for you today. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports on the current tampon shortage and how that shortage is raising awareness about menstrual inequity. And later, an open call for artwork to be included in an exhibit at Walton Art Center this autumn. First, although parts of Arkansas experienced rain this past week, most of the state is still in an extreme, severe, or moderate drought. Many farmers are making decisions about how to care for animals and crops, while keeping their farm afloat. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports the University of Arkansas's Extension Service held a webinar to prepare producers for what's happening and how they could be profitable when the dry spell eventually breaks. Technology advances, but Daniel Rivera says farmers in times of drought or high heat mainly have the same options they have always had, and none of them are meant for the long haul. The way I looked at it, and the way I approach in this talk was that I'm going to talk about the short-term fixes, and that's really all they are, in my opinion. Riviera is the University of Arkansas's director of the Southwest Research and Extension Center. He was one of the six people leading the extension surviving in the cattle business during the drought webinar this past week. His presentation was on how farmers could minimize long-term pasture damage and damage to the genetics of their herds. Despite all the advances that we make, sometimes if it doesn't rain, it just doesn't rain and we still have to make uh, these hard choices that we've always had to make uh, in years past. Because less food is usable for cattle during a drought, some farmers make decisions to sell cattle, early wing calves so they can have enough nutrients while food is low, or buy additional food to feed the herds through it. Although these options could sustain a herd and pasture until the drought ends, the choices are not guarantees. There are other effects from the location, existing farming practices, the quality of food produced like hay, and the expense. But, you know, given the cost of hay and given the cost of feed, that's also going to be something that, you know, each operation is going to have to determine whether or not they can, they can withstand that risk. James Mitchell, a livestock economist from the University of Arkansas, who also spoke at the webinar, says knowing these costs is crucial. He says although this year's drought is similar to the one in 2012, which was worse than the drought of the Dust Bowl, this situation is unique. Drought isn't the only thing that our producers in Arkansas are having to, to contend with right now. Um, you know, there's certainly concerns with the macroeconomic situation, inflation, high input prices. We're, we're working our way two years, you know, through a pandemic. You know, there's a lot of other things going on. And so I think the timing of this drought potentially makes it a, a more difficult situation to, to work through. It's no secret whether conditions are hot and dry. All of the state is dry, and in most parts, people are experiencing a severe or moderate drought as of July 19th, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. Mitchell says information like this could mean some farmers might be eligible for livestock forage programs through the United States Department of Agriculture. So both eligibility for those programs as well as the payment scale that you would expect are conditional on what drought category your county would be in. So for those purposes, I'd say it's important to to monitor this map for, for just that reason um, by itself. Um, you know, looking at the, the seven-day outlook um, doesn't look like a whole lot of relief is coming either. Other topics of the webinar included methods of getting rid of pests, specifically armyworms and stem maggots, and tending to forage such as dates for planting, the type of plants, and what grazing periods could produce better results despite the drought. Brittany Schreck, a family life specialist and assistant professor at the university, spoke on stress management and suicide prevention. She says weather is always a stressor for farmers and piles on to a host of other concerns. A health crisis or a debilitating injury could endanger an entire operation. 
retaining land, retaining an operation, machinery breakdown or maintenance issues, and whether you'll be able to find the part that you need to fix the issue, especially with some supply chain concerns that we have right now, supply chain interference and instability, and then isolation of working alone for long periods of time. That's always a risky part of farming, but it can be especially problematic during tough times like what we're currently experiencing. American workers in farming, fishing, and forestry industries had some of the highest suicide rates in 2019. Vic Ford, the associate vice president of the extension, says drawing attention to farm stress is a priority. As you live and work around these rural areas, you just put that in the back of your mind is that sometimes farmers have a really tough go and staying in business, particularly with generational transfers, is difficult. Ford says multiple farmers were asking their extension agents about extreme drought livestock forage management, which is why they put together the webinar. During the meeting, about 560 people from in and out of state were in attendance. Ford says farmers are not the only ones feeling the brunt of drought costs. He says the research centers that relay information to producers are sharing the experience. I was at the Northeast Rice Research and Extension Center on Tuesday, and over the weekend they had a main irrigation line break. So, you know, we've we've got these kind of problems with our organization. You can imagine when a farmer who's farming five to ten thousand acres and having to work pumps and make sure motors work and those kinds of things. So, outside pressures like record high fuel prices, fertilizer costs, and the drought, Ford says are large hurdles for people to jump who want to continue farming or get into the business. Farming is different in the Delta region compared to the northwest part of the state because of the environmental and climatological makeup. He says another factor that is in northwest Arkansas is growth. But also remember that it's a place that's growing like northwest Arkansas is that you've got your farmers out there and, you know, when your neighbor's making a subdivision and he's selling land for $20,000 an acre, it's it's tough to farm and and try to beat that. For Ozarks at Large in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. A supply chain shortage of tampons this summer is raising greater awareness about menstrual equity or access for all to such products, as well as green menstrual product alternatives. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. John Crow serves as Assistant Director of Building Services and Facilities Management at the University of Arkansas, FIAMA for short. The main part of my role is uh, I manage all the custodial staff for the education in general buildings on campus. Containing lots of restrooms where several years ago facilities crews began to stock free menstrual tampons. We already had dispensers all over campus, uh, not everywhere, but in many places. We, we took all the coin-operated mechanisms out of those, took all, any signage that was on the outside of the dispenser that, that might indicate there's a cost, took those off or, or covered them up, uh, and, we, and we put stickers that basically say these are free. A 40-box count of generic tampons can cost around $6 due to raw materials cost increases for plastic resins, fluff, pulp, and cotton used to manufacture tampons and menstrual pads. Retail prices are rising. This spring and summer, a run on tampons have emptied store shelves, including at major retailers. So, John Crow is increasing his tampon supply this fall semester at the U of A. To, to try to help with coverage is we also started a, an initiative to get uh, feminine product dispensers all over campus so in, in, or in places that we didn't have them already. So our protocol basically is, is that we want to have at least one on every floor in a women's restroom. And if there are uh, unisex restrooms, that we will have one in, in one unisex restroom. Stocking free period products traces back to a joint resolution approved by the Graduate Professional Student Congress in the spring of 2019 in collaboration with undergraduate associated student government titled Menstrual Equity for All Act. J.D. DeLoretto Hill, who has a Ph.D. in public policy from the U of A, authored the resolution. He's assistant director for the Office of Student Activities, which serves as the advisor for student government on campus. I'll be honest, I anticipated that it would require some um, student government funding um, and, and some logistical support. 
Uh, FAMA basically came back and said that they would take care of it. It would be completely funded out of their budget. De Loretto Hill argues we don't pay for toilet tissue or paper towels in public facilities, which are also necessities. You know, in terms of a you know, matter of equity, um, that the statistics show that, you know, it does get in the way of, of um, both you know, professional and academic work, because if you need a pad or a tampon and don't have change, um, you may very well have to just miss class. To me, that was, you know, really um, a, ge- a case of gender inequality. In the originating resolution, De Loretto Hill wrote that the United Nations regards access to menstrual hygiene management, HMH for short, is a human right, and that empirical data reveal a chronic, unexpected need experienced by 80% of people who menstruate. According to the Nonprofit Alliance for Period Supplies, 17 states and Washington, D.C. have passed legislation to ensure students, faculty, and staff who menstruate have free access to period products while on campuses. And De Loretto Hill says the response at the U of A? Uh, Well-received, well most popular and well-received initiative uh, that GPSC did in the last four or five years because of the um, the impact that it had on, you know, I believe more than 50% of our campus um, falls into the category of individuals who menstruate. Diversity, equity, and inclusive language has replaced the terms women and females who menstruate with people who menstruate or menstruators to accommodate, for example, trans men who choose to maintain their menses. University of Arkansas Building Services Assistant Director John Crow also says the free period products were wildly popular when first offered. To be honest, initially, uh, the, when they became free, many machines, especially in, in busy buildings, uh, uh, they emptied out pretty quick. Uh, but eventually it leveled out and we ended, people realized, well, these are here for good. They're going to be for free from now on. Crow says despite sporadic retail shortages, his supplier has plenty of period products in stock for the coming school year. Jamie McConnell is deputy director of Women's Voices of the Earth, which is closely tracking menstrual equity issues. Um, a lot of people define menstrual equity as um, the safety, affordability, and accessibility of, of menstrual products. Um, and so our work, you know, focuses on the safety piece, but we also do a lot of research on the state of policy in the United States in terms of how many pieces of legislation have passed, have been enacted, um, menstrual equity legislation been enacted in the United States on the state and federal level. As of May this year, 60 menstrual equity laws have been passed by states. The Arkansas legislature refused to pass such a law proposed several years ago that would eliminate taxes on menstrual products. You know, um, actually the tax, uh, eliminating the so-called tampon tax, which would take the tax away not just from tampons, but other products used to, to control menstruation like pads, has really been a bipartisan issue. More cities are passing menstrual equity ordinances, she says, and two federal laws are in place, one under the CARES Act that allows for menstrual products to be paid with health savings or flexible spending accounts, pre-tax dollars. Another law mandates federal supplies to be provided in prisons. Some state law, she says, requires certain public facilities and businesses to provide free menstrual products as well in their restrooms. Some states have passed, like, if you have a certain amount of employees over this, you should provide it. Correctional facilities, prisons, where often the costs of menstrual products can, if from the commissary can be ridiculous. So, I mean, we've really seen that these laws that have passed across the country have gotten bipartisan support. I think where there seems to be more opposition is around the safety piece and the disclosure piece. Companies like to claim that ingredients, some ingredients should be confidential business information and that people who use these products don't have a right to them. For menstruators, she says, lots of green alternatives exist now, widely available at local retailers, which take certain resolve to use. If you're talking sustainability, um, reusable menstrual cups, inserted into the body. A lot of folks like these because they're reusable. Made from silicone, rubber, or latex, menstrual cups can be used for up to 12 hours and are removed, much like tampons, for cleansing, 
cleaned with non-toxic soap and hot water. Period panties are also in vogue, which contain washable inserts to collect menses, as well as period underwear, which contains internal moisture wicking padding. Such products require an initial upfront cost and are widely available at most retailers. And then we always recommend for folks, um, if they're using tampons or pads, um, to look for 100% cotton. 100% cotton is important because what a lot of people don't realize is there are a lot of additives that are used in menstrual products like pads and tampons. Um, fragrance is one, so avoid any fragrance products um, because fragrance can contain harmful chemicals. Women's Voices for the Earth recently released a report detailing chemical exposure from over-the-counter period products which may include volatile organic compounds and phthalates. The report cites that certain tampons can contain up to 45 different ingredients, some that can cause skin irritation, allergic reaction, cancer, as well as generate microplastic particles into the environment. Add to that, according to Global Citizen, 12 billion disposable pads and panty liners, along with 7 billion used tampons and packaging tossed annually, generate more than 200,000 metric tons, or over 400 million pounds of solid waste. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. I have a correction from yesterday's show. At the beginning of the excerpt from the latest episode of the limited-run KUAF podcast, The R Word, I identified the first speaker we heard as Chris Seawood when it was actually Reverend Stephen Ivey who we heard first. I apologize for that error. You can hear the entire episode with podcast host Lowell Taylor correctly identifying everybody right now at KUAF.com. Benton County this morning lifted its burn ban. County Judge Barry Mooring signed the court order ending the ban. Residents are still asked to check with local municipalities before burning outside. Ahead of next week's special session of the Arkansas Legislature, Governor Asa Hutchinson gave some details on what he will include on the agenda. In a press conference yesterday, the governor said school safety will be part of that session. He said after receiving a preliminary report from the School Safety Commission, he wants to help schools adopt the recommendations through block grants. That $50 million uh, will be a good start, a good support mechanism for our school districts as they try to carry out the responsibility that school children must be safe. The governor says he plans on setting aside $50 million for block grants. He added the legislature will be responsible for setting the parameters of the program. Cheryl May, the chair of the School Safety Commission, says the report shows schools need a multi-layered approach to safety. We stress the importance of implementing comprehensive strategies, that we make the very, very strong argument that there's not one single thing that a school can do that's going to make that school safe. Governor Hutchinson says there will also be money available from the bipartisan Safer Communities Act to address gun violence, which was signed into law by President Joe Biden in June. New Arkansas COVID-19 cases in the last 24-hour reporting period increased by just more than 1,300 positive results, a decline when compared to the same period a week earlier. Nine new deaths from the virus were reported, bringing the total number of fatal cases in Arkansas during the pandemic to 11,728. It was announced yesterday the Walmart Amp is adding the Chicks to the autumn schedule. The 13-time Grammy-winning band will be on stage in Rogers on Tuesday, October 4th. Tickets go on sale Friday morning at 10 through the regular Walton Arts Center outlets. And the Arkansas Razorback soccer team is starting the season ranked 8th in the nation in the United Soccer Coaches preseason poll, which was released yesterday. Last year, the Razorbacks advanced to the NCAA Elite Eight and captured a third consecutive SEC championship. KUAF is supported by Arcom Plus, taking products and services from vision to reality. Arcom Plus offers custom wedding packages, graduation announcements, note cards, and more. Printing nwa.com or 444-7711 for additional information. The Arkansas Times and the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association present the Medical Marijuana Health Expo Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Springdale. Medical professionals, pharmacists, and local bud tenders will lead seminars on treating a variety of symptoms with medical marijuana. 
Details and tickets at centralarkansatickets.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Willie Carlisle has had a busy year. He's been on tour for the most part since December with shows on the West Coast, the East Coast, in Europe, and most recently in the Southwest on tour with Lost Dog Street Band. He also spent time shooting some music videos in Wyoming, but now he's back in Northwest Arkansas to kick off a slate of shows celebrating the release of his latest record. Willie recently stopped by the home studio of Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis to talk about the new release, Peculiar Missouri. Considering his busy schedule, Timothy asked Willie when he finds time to sleep. You know, I've been stealing it, honestly. <laughs> it's like I've been s- sort of going to bed. You know what's amazing has been all the, like, hugs and stuff at the merch table. And, like, you know, the playing part is, of course, amazing. But getting to sing with people is the best part of that. And getting to, like, hang out with people and hug people at the end has been amazing. So I, som- I sometimes go to bed so socially exhausted that I just have to sit in the dark. And so it's been a really nice essential way to ensure I get sleep is just <laughs> hugging people until I have to be in total vampiric seclusion for like, you know, 12 hours. And and then, of course, I look at my phone and it's blown up and I've and I've got to do a bunch of stuff. Right, <laughs> right, right. So you mentioned the new record. Uh, it's your third release, second full length. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Peculiar Missouri. Well, Peculiar Missouri, as as you may know, is a small town south of Kansas City, uh, but it's also um, the title of this record. Um, it's uh, a collection of 12 uh, folk songs and original songs about feelings, a couple of cowboy ballads, and at the very center is uh, the title track, which is a six or seven minute long talking blues about having a panic attack in a small town Walmart, which is, I think, a place everybody's been before. Yeah. <laughs> Or you can get the same toothbrush in Alberta and Atlanta and the same deck of cards in Tucumcari and Dubuque. I might just fall to my knees at the glory and abundance of the sameness of all things. All things partying away in the last hours of this godforsaken Babylon. It's like we're waiting on the oceans to rise. It's like we're waiting on New York City and L.A. to get swallowed. Like we're waiting on our own personal, private apocalypses. Well, I think we might need to get out of here. We didn't make any compromises on this record. It just came out. I recorded it with this fantastic guy, Joel Savoy, down in Eunice, Louisiana. And I I brought a bunch of friends and family down, kind of late in the pandemic uh, lockdown period. We all, you know, stayed clean and, and had a wonderful time making a record that's the hardest swing I've ever done. And so far, the reception has been like nothing short of overwhelming. Yeah. So what made it feel like a harder swing than stuff you've done in the past? Well, if I'm honest, so my last recordings were done in Fayetteville at Homestead Recording, and uh, Eric Wittens did an amazing job, but they were essentially, to me, I was producing them, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, if people know me, you'll know that I play banjo, fiddle, guitar, accordion, harmonica, all this stuff, but really having somebody else be trusted to produce it was like a really big deal. And I never asked Eric to do it. He was ready back in those days, but frankly, I didn't have the money. The second record, my first full length, I was kind of living in my car. And uh, so we had to do things on the cheap. This time it was like, well, I guess if we're going to go all out, let's hire somebody. Let's get a record label, which we got in, in Free Dirt Records to kind of help us do distribution. And let's hire, you know, our dream boat. And it was this guy, Joel. He didn't brag about the Grammy that sat on his desk at all, but it sat rather intimidatingly while he was the sweetest, nicest, and smartest person I've gotten to work with, uh, honestly, since Eric. I think they'd be tied for it, but uh, yeah, that was wonderful. You mentioned that you had a full band on this record. Your previous two records, you've had, you had a little bit of help on some tracks, but they were mostly solo affairs. Did you have to rehearse this a lot more before you went in to record, considering you had more people working on it? A little bit yes and a little bit no. One of the great things about having a great producer was that he was able to just call somebody and have astoundingly good pedal steel in in the next couple of hours. 
And uh, that was brand new to me. We did rehearse a ton. I rehearsed so much by myself. You know, it was COVID times. I rehearsed while in front of people, right? Uh, you've <laughs> seen me screw up the song hundreds of times as I'm working the kinks out. But this was a lot more like, okay, we're going to sit down with the metronome. We're going to work on this song for an hour, get it just exactly right. And then when we landed in the studio, it was like everybody had to do that alone. And then we came together. And so all the energy that's on the record is like brand new energy. And that's really special. So the answer is, yes, we had to rehearse, but everybody rehearsed in their, in their lonely little boxes. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about how you wrote these songs. Did living the touring musician life, did that kind of seep into the content of these songs? Did it influence them? Yeah, there's this song, uh, kind of maybe the funniest song on the record is called Van Life. And it's about living in your van, but really it's a song that's mad about gentrification. <laughs> I say this specifically to the Northwest Arkansas listener, you know, um, is, um, you know, my version of van life is fashionable homelessness. You know, I'm, I've been running around the country and I've got, I now have four different cowboy hats in the car to pick from <laughs> to walk into the quick trip with, you know, like. Uh, depending on where you're at. I guess. Right. Depending on the mood. <laughs> right. So, you know, there's not a lot. I I would say that I know with great certainty, especially not about like America at large, that would be foolish. But I can say after traveling coast to coast for a few years, that there's a homelessness crisis in every mid-sized American city happening right now. So uh, that was what informed the silliest song on the record, because I want to make fun. I want to make fun of it. I want to make fun of the how absurd it is that we take things like living in your car and turn it into an Instagrammable phenomenon. So essentially the song is about peeing in bottles and, and um, you know, sleeping rough and uh, having cops bother you constantly and so on and so forth. And engine trouble even. Yeah, and engine trouble. And the chorus says uh, it's a fine line between having to and choosing it, which I think it is for a lot of people right now. Let's roll up, let's blow this. Well, the 7-Elevens are sure bellyache. I subsist on a mere wake and bake. Talladega to Chicago's lakes, or I'll take your largest case. And all the girls from Chickamauga to Passamacotti speak enviously of my band's rusty body. This old thing might just be a Bugatti the way I get it from 60 to zero. Yeah, I'm 60 miles of Fargo on a northern track. I'm burning rubber, no looking back. Pushing that thing like a maniac. I get tipped out like a stripper. And singles and crack. Ooh, I wish someone would fund them track. Instead, it's the van life. I've been told this. It's a fine life. I've been sold this. It's a fine line between having to and choosing it. Let's roll up. Let's blow this. There's a lot of places and people, as there are on any record, but this one in particular, it might be more of a hard-traveling record than anything I've made so far. Are there any other songs on the record that kind of exemplify that hard-traveling idea? There's a song, Life on the Fence, that uh, was the second single that's about um, being in, in love with this guy and um, having him call every now and again after I'd entered a new relationship and just getting tons of like feeling tons of pain about leaving this dude behind and then having to do these long drives sometimes through his city sometimes like it was like I was trying to get as far away from his city as I could I ain't crying in public till it's perfectly lovely tried to fit in I just can't in your town There's also a couple cowboy songs on the record, traditional cowboy songs that I've learned from my mentors, both of which are about um, really hard traveling and hard times dudes. Uh, one called The Good Night Loving Trail was written by uh, the late great anarchist folk singer Utah Phillips, and it's a story about a cook on a wagon train 
who uh, gets so lonely at night that he sits and plays harmonica and cusses out everybody else on the wagon train every night. And the other one is um, called Este Mundo, or Todo Pasa en Este Mundo, uh, which means everything passes in the world. And I learned that from an old cowboy singer named Steve Cormier. I've learned a bunch of songs from. And that's about a guy that uh, gets kicked off of his land and has this big water company buy up his land out from under him. Um, and so he works his whole life and, and um, at the end of it only has reminiscences of hard work and hard travel. I guess it goes, uh, for a month I slept on the saddle and my hair was like a wild buffalo, which I really, I really like that. We had all the water we need And the wellows grew on the reel All the way down the Santa Fe And I tended my Padre's cattle All the way from the Arroyo long ago For a month I slept on the saddle My hair like a wild buffalo El Indio Antonio Dominguez Played soft, sweet and low For the dancers from all of the ranches you mentioned this earlier, but this is your first record with support from a label and from a support staff. How did that change the way you put a record together? Free Dirt Records is a little outfit out of Washington, D.C., uh, it's all kids that interned at the Smithsonian and then then waited 10 years and then made a record label. They're folk music nerds. You know, when we say a team, it's like, you know, several part-time people and uh, one head honcho and just a bunch of sweeties. Like, it's changed the strategy, but really it's just like working with your friends. And I, I think I want to make it clear that every DIY operation is doing the same thing. Now that I've been in the music industry, you can't see my air quotes, but they're massive. The music industry in, in, and have something that somebody wants. Like occasionally if I'm in Nashville, the vultures will just kind of like emerge and try to, oh, who's running your merch? Or like, I bet I could get you better distribution or something like that. And it's like, you cannot work harder than Cassie at Free Dirt Records and Jonathan at Free Dirt Records because like we love each other, you know? Yeah. And I, I think I want to say that on the radio, especially because these little operations we build things that other people want like there just is nothing but fans and the songs and people literally putting in sweat and so everybody can do it it can be done and it got it's happening here so much with uh, garhole records and uh well it's just happening in northwest arkansas in general i think you have the release show coming up here in fayetteville early august tell us tell us what you have planned well, I don't want to give it all away. <laughs> <laughs> tell us what you want to uh, tell right, us. It'll be a full band show. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be all the songs from the record and uh, all the greatest hits. We're going to do at least four sing-alongs. I was like, can we get away with six? And I was like, maybe we'll just do four. I think you could get away with six. You know, we'll think about it, right? <laughs> uh, I have a couple costumes sitting in my internet basket at home. And um, I think it's going to be pretty wild. It's August 5th at George's Majestic. Dylan Earl is playing first. going to be some honky-tonk music ahead of time. And we, you know, really what I hope is for it to feel like a family reunion. I get nervous playing at home. It's hard not to. You really want the people at home to love you, especially I've been pretty much gone since last December. Mm. You hope that people remember because I remember. <laughs> you know, I was over there as much as I, I loved being in Europe. It was a delight. But I hugged the pillow and thought of Arkansas several times, you know, like a good number of times. So, And I really do owe, owe Arkansas just about everything. Just most of the pieces of inspiration on the record, you know, come right from the hills. As much as it's about hard traveling, there's, you know, the, there's the spiritual side comes from those arcs. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that this is going to be a full band show, something you've been doing more of lately. How does it feel to have a full band behind you on some of these dates? It feels really good. You know, where, where my soul lives is just in audience communication. It's just in, in hanging out with people. And if I get to do that with a full band, that's great. And if I have to do it by myself, well, by God, we're going to do it good and hard. So I don't know. I'm waiting on my ride or dies, my full-time guys. I'm trying to find them. It's been a joy to be able to change genres just about any time with a full band pretty easily. 
in the UK, people ask me, can you tell us what Americana music is? They always said Americana <laughs> uh, with an R at the end. And it would be like, man, I don't friggin' know. Like somewhere between Levon Helm and John Moreland over in Tulsa and the Tulsa sound that's happening right now and Red Dirt in general or something. I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't have an answer. I don't care. But I can say that I want to switch. And this record switches between old time music and bluegrass sounds and traditional American folk music and Americana and Tejano music. And I don't want to have to explain because it's Ozarky and Pan-American at the same time. And having a band sometimes mean they can make those sonic shifts like really easy. Yeah. You know, he somebody does a G run on a acoustic guitar, people are like, can be like, oh, hey, it's it's bluegrass now. And then they do a chicken pick and run on a Telecaster. Well, then they're like, okay, good. We're, it's country music now. Um, <laughs> sometimes I think those shifts can be jarring for people. And having a bunch of professionals be there to just, uh, I don't know, telegraph it is, uh, is pretty cool. I feel very understood. Yeah. <laughs> So you've got the release show coming up August 5th. What, what's on your radar after that? Right after that, well, so we're playing in Tulsa on August 4th. If any of you want to come out to the Mercury Lounge, it'd be great to see you there. August 5th is George's Majestic. And right after that, I'm on tour with American Aquarium, uh, one of my favorite Americana bands. We'll be doing 12 dates. It'll be, boy, well, so the day after I'm going to Austin, and from Austin, I'm going to Albuquerque, and Albuquerque to Los Angeles, and Los Angeles to San Francisco, and San Francisco to Bend, and Bend to Portland, and Portland to Seattle, and Seattle to Boise, and Boise to Salt Lake, and Salt Lake to Denver, and Denver to Wichita, and Wichita to Little Rock. And right before Little Rock, I get to play at Meadow Creek, my favorite little intentional <laughs> community in Arkansas, in central Arkansas. Yeah, so that's what's next. It's sort of like you could wake me up in late August and <laughs> it'll be great. It'll be 500 to 800 people or maybe even more crammed into these mid-sized venues. Yeah. And well, bands like American Aquarium have built these fan bases that that we want to build. You know, we want it to be word of mouth. We want it to be there's no big pile of money. I want people to have such a damn good time, have such a positive <laughs> spiritual experience at shows. You know, whether it's me or if it's the Bud Light, I don't really care that we build something that's positive, a positive force in the world that's good psychological energy. Hmm. And they've done that over like a couple decades. And boy, I think I'm at year six of being a musician. So I'm out there taking notes and out there trying to break hearts if I can. Well, Willie, I think that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything else that I forgot to ask? Anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, just... Uh, Thanks to uh, the whole listening community at KUAF for, um, for being there for a long time. And, and uh, well, I hope to see you out there. And if not, well, I hope you like the record. Willie Carlisle, in conversation with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis. The Fayetteville release show for Willie's new record, August 5th. That's Friday at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Doors at 830, music at 9. Cover is $15. You can keep up with Willie and his music, as well as purchase Peculiar Missouri, all at willycarlisle.com. KUAF is supported by Arcegas, a family-owned and operated coffee roastery with five cafes in downtown and South Fayetteville. Arcegas offers carefully sourced coffee in small batches at their roastery in South Fayetteville. Coffee subscriptions are available at arcegas.com. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Art Ventures continues its mission to take art out and about on Saturday. They're teaming up with Ozark Regional Transit to bring a gallery on wheels displaying a curated selection of images from the Frame of Mind Critical Black Theory exhibition in an ORT bus. It's all going to happen at the Back to School Extravaganza at the Yvonne Richardson Center Saturday from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. Free watercolor illustrations by Octavio Logo will be available for everyone who stops by and completes a simple digital survey. All the centers are in collecting donations of school supplies and resources for students going back to school this fall. And really, the words back to school never sounded so good. There will also be the CBTU Mobile Lab from Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, providing on-site art activities for families. And Crystal Bridges will host local artist Junie Song and guest DJs curated by Her Set, Her Sound. It's all Saturday from 9 to 4 at the Yvonne Richardson Center. And we can guarantee fresh rain in Siloam Springs Saturday. The St. Louis band 
Fresh Rain will perform as part of the Memorial Park Summer Series. The band covers Lady Gaga, Nirvana, the Fugees, and others. Music starts at 7 Saturday night in the Memorial Park Chautauqua Amphitheater. Then on August 20th, local faves Oreo Blue in Salem Springs. And the Buffalo River is a natural work of art, and how the river has inspired artists will be the focus of discussion and film Saturday at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. The historic site supervisor of the T.H. Benton Home State Historic Site in Kansas City will discuss Benton's relationship to the Ozarks and the Buffalo. He'll also screen the 15-minute film, A Man and a River. Angie Albright, director of the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale, will talk about the ways photography has been used in advocacy for the river. The museum, the Shiloh Museum, is currently hosting an exhibition of the photography of Ken Smith using primary photographs taken on his 1965 exploration of the Buffalo. Immediately following the panel at Crystal Bridges, there will be a showing of First River, How Arkansas Saved a National Treasure. The film, created by the Ozark Society, is a history of the river and its preservation from the 1960s to today, with particular emphasis upon the conservation efforts of the Ozark Society. All of this Saturday is free and open to the public. Reservations are required through crystalbridges.org or by calling Crystal Bridges Guest Services at 657 23 this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Sherry Ottaviano, our membership director. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. And Ryan Versi. Hello there. Hello, who is our uh, underwriting director. And we're all here together because we're going to make some members of KUAF happy, right, Sherry? That's exactly right. Uh, We are celebrating membership week this week, and we are doing that by highlighting a member each day of the week, Um, someone who's been selected at random that has supported the station over the past year. We just want to give them a special shout-out and thank you. And uh, we're, that's what we're here to do. And helping us out all week doing this are some of our newer voices at KUF, including Ryan Versey. That's correct. Happy to be here, as usual. And are you happy? You're happy to be at KUAF. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, we're going to give. What are we giving away? Do we know? Um, yes, we are going to send a lucky winner a T-shirt. All right. Awesome. Love T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one cannot have too many T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Who are we giving these this t-shirt to? All right, so we've got t-shirts for we got a t-shirt for Michelle and Randy Jackson of Lavaca. All right. I know, Lavaca. That's right. a little ways away, but hopefully they can wear that with pride. And oh yeah. <laughs> well, it's great that someone in Lavaca is Absolutely. supporting KUA. Absolutely. Right. So we just want to be sure and express our appreciation for their support and everyone's support today and every day. Um, it's the members that fuel and power the music and news that you hear here on KUAF, and you can't get it anywhere else. We believe in the work that we're doing and uh, because we believe it helps us to better see and appreciate everything our region has to offer, and it's not possible without member support. And, of course, we appreciate all our members. We also mm-hmm. appreciate the businesses that support us through underwriting. All of our underwriters are tremendously important to the success of us and our station, and there's literally not enough thank yous in the world. All right. Sherry, Ryan, thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle. Absolutely. Thank you. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. On March 5, 1959, fire killed 21 young black boys at the Negro Boys Industrial School in Wrightsville. The school is essentially a prison for youthful offenders and orphans, and the doors were locked and no adults were present when the fire started in the night. Forty-eight other boys escaped the flames, which may have been caused by faulty wiring. Governor Orville Faubus sought to blame Superintendent Lester Gaines, but the school was chronically understaffed and in deplorable condition. A grand jury that investigated the disaster issued no indictments but found the blame can be placed on lots of shoulders for this tragedy including the staff, several governors who ignored the school's condition, the General Assembly, and finally, the people of Arkansas who did nothing about it. Fourteen of the 21 victims of the fire, ranging in age from 14 to 16, were buried in a mass grave at Little Rock's Haven of Rest Cemetery. A monument to them was placed there in 2018. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. 
This is Ozarks at Large for August 3rd, 2022. Thanks for being with us. Walton Arts Center will host for the second consecutive year an art exhibition of local and regional artwork, and it's art that has been finished within the last year. Titled Our Art, Our Region, Our Time, submissions are being accepted through August 15th. Yesterday, we invited Kathy Thompson, the guest director and curator for the Walton Arts Center, and Jason Smith, director of special initiatives at the venue, to come to us to talk about the upcoming exhibition. What it really means to me is that we are reaching out there to people who are making art that nobody even knows. And not only that, I just think it makes people feel good because their families get to see it, and it's more than... it's. It's more than just your normal institutional or gallery or whatever show because the Walton Arts Center can make that happen. And I'm really thankful for it because I think it's important. Open call again this year? Open to everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that we really strive for is uh, to eliminate any barrier to application. The The only true barrier is having either a phone or a computer to be able to, you know, take a picture and upload the image and fill it out. The application, but that's really the only barrier there is. Um, there's no fee to apply, which uh, helps because I mean, for example, last year we had several artists that couldn't have afford the, afforded the fee had they had to have one. And um, in many cases, juried exhibitions always require a fee to pay the jurors. Um, but we felt that that was Walton Art Center's duty to absorb those costs in order to actually fully represent the region. Two of the words in the title, our time. And I love that because this is artwork completed after July 1st mm-hmm. of last year. This is current, contemporary, mm-hmm. now. Yeah, we felt it was important to reflect art that's being made in this community now um, because we feel that it has a timeliness. There's going to be parts of it. And then when you look back, you'll see how art changes with the environment that we are living in. And we thought that that would be a really um, cool way to approach this. Yeah, it will be interesting to look back 30 years from these first few, you know, that happened during the pandemic, influenced by the pandemic, and then hopefully in 30 years we're out of a pandemic. (laughs) And other things are happening that influence what people do. I mean, art now that people make is, is very, very different from what it was say 20 years ago even 10 years ago well and what people so, consider uh-huh. is art yes you exactly. know i mean like and who makes it i mean i would you almost know? be willing to accept a tiktok <laughs> as <laughs> art because i mean people are literally investing their time and creativity in in that as if it's a piece of art so um you know to me everything's fair game you got to get your art submitted soon though it's yes. middle of this month. Fifteenth, mm-hmm. they're due on the fifteenth of August. You go to the Walton Art Center um, website and look under our art, our region, or the second regional art show, or just I think if they just typed in regional art show. It, um, yeah, no, I think the it? well, it mm-hmm. could uh, if you type our art or you type call for artist Walton Art Center, it should give mm-hmm. you something if you search it. But really, Walton Art Center. Dot org, um, that main page. The top, of course, is going to be My Fair Lady right now because that's the show that that is um, coming. But just below that, if you just scroll down the page, the next thing is mm-hmm. the where you can click to go to the visual arts page, which will take you to the application. I forget the official term, but there's a guide that goes with mm-hmm. the show. I mean, so it's the catalog, the catalog, right? Mm-hmm. And and so the artist's works and mission statements, all that. And then if they if what we had to do was pare down the statements. But then if you, for example, want, were interested in an artist, then you could go to the website after it's over and you could see the entire statement. So it's not that we've done away with their statement. It's just that we've just used part of it. The catalog has such a limited space that you can't yeah. include everything. But the other thing that we do is we... We put all of the artists online so that if you are interested in more works by them, 
you know, you can always go and Google mm-hmm. them as an artist or go to um, Instagram or whatever social media pages you you like to visit. But you could also um, just go to our website, click on their name, and it opens up links to their Instagram, if they have a YouTube, if they have Facebook, if they have, you know, whatever media is an Etsy. Um, we we link we have those links ready for you to be able to access. Get those submissions, get those TikToks that might be included <laughs> in as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we'll do what we did last year. Can I come look at the oh, installations? Absolutely. You bet. All right. Anything you want, Kyle. Kathy Thompson is the guest director and curator for the Walton Art Center. Jason Smith, among other things, director of special initiatives at Walton Art Center. Submissions for consideration are due by August 15th. The show will open to the public in October. They joined me yesterday in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Support for KUAF comes from the Walmart Museum, offering shopping in the original Walton's Five and Dime on the Bentonville Square. WalmartMuseum.com for more information. The 2022 Fayetteville Roots Festival is August 25th through the 27th. This festival of roots music, local food, and Ozark culture will feature national and local performers and chefs at numerous events throughout Fayetteville, including the Fayetteville Public Library, Maxine's, George's Majestic Lounge, and Roots HQ. Event tickets, passes to local restaurant takeovers, late-night stage tickets, and more are available at FayettevilleRoots.org. On tomorrow's Ozarks at Large, Ukraine war refugees are finding temporary safe haven across the United States, including in Arkansas, under a special federal program, Uniting for Ukraine. So underneath Uniting for Ukraine, there have been over 86,000 applications filed. And what this means is there's been 86,000 Americans who have raised their hand and determined that they can offer safety and sanctuary. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich has that story for us tomorrow at noon and 7 on KUAF 91.3 and on your schedule with the Ozarks at Large podcast. Hi, this is Lee Wood, KUAF's general manager. I am so grateful for the listeners of this station who support our work financially. Your gifts make purchasing and upkeep of the more than two dozen computers we use to create local programming every day and that bring it to your radio, phone, smart speaker, and to your own computer. We simply could not make a program like Ozarks at Large that takes six and a half reporters and producers to make every single weekday without your support. If you're a contributing listener, thank you. You make everything you hear and so much more that you don't hear at KUAF possible. Thank you for supporting this community resource that brings vital information, entertainment, and conversations to you and thousands of your neighbors every day. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Alma. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to the show today included Anna Pope, Jacqueline Froelich, and Timothy Dennis. Thanks to Ryan Versi and Sherry Ottaviano for spending a few minutes with us as well. Additional content today provided by our friends at KUAR Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. Reminder, the next Music on the Mountain concert on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville will feature Route 358 Friday night. The band will play its first Fayetteville show since June and likely preview music from their upcoming new record. Show is from 6.30 until 8.15 in the Cottage Circle at Mount Sequoia. Tickets, 12 bucks. More information at mountsequoia.networkforgood.com. Have you ever forgotten your own birthday? We did, sort of, yesterday. The daily edition of Ozarks at Large marked 12 years yesterday, just fewer than 3,800 shows since we transitioned from a program airing a few times on the weekend to one that is now on six days a week. You don't hit a milestone like that without great, great support from inside and outside the building. Thanks to everybody who's worked on this show before and since we went to a daily program, and to all of you who have listened, contributed feedback and ideas, and supported us with your financial membership. It has been a tremendous 12 years and one day. Thanks so much. And you know what? We'll come back for 
our edition tomorrow to mark 12 years and two days. You can hear us at noon and 7. You can also ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll talk again soon.